Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast, a podcast all about early stage web developers and the mentors and teachers that helped them along the way. Hey, Chelsea. Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Um, so I, uh, you are one of the many people that reach out over Polywork when I like did my initial like are people interested in this kind of thing? And I'm still blown away by how many people were interested. Um, so you were one of the folks, and then I started doing it, and I got so caught up in, in the whole process and all the other things that I do. But then eventually I was able to get back to you, and we were able to set this up. So I'm, I'm so glad um, that we were able to do this. Um, I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. I've done some research about you and um, found some really interesting things that I'd like to dig into. Um, so I'm looking forward to the conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for reaching out. I was, uh, I've been having fun making some connections on Polywork and I, I saw I saw that and I was just very interested in your project and what you're, what you're doing. So that's kind of what prompted me to respond. It sounded like you were doing some really interesting work yourself. So cool, that's great to you. Glad to be here. Yeah. So um, I normally ask people to write a little bio in the document, but that's more for me to like use when I post it. Um, I, in the beginning, I, I read it out, but I thought, no, oh, that's, it's so been done. <laughs> I want to do it differently. So <laughs> what I'm, what I decided to do is I'm going to let you tell your story instead of me giving a summary of, of your life story. So, you know, sure. Take as long as you want, go as far back as you like, um, bring us up to the current day. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, just in general, I'm a I'm a software engineer and creator. I guess generally speaking, um, I do a whole bunch of different work in my day to day. But I got my start uh, really when I was a kid. My dad my dad started a software company when he was just out of college. So I grew up with computers and the internet and being around all that uh, all that stuff and developing an interest in it pretty early in my life and uh, so I went to college for uh, well the degree was in liberal arts it's a background in philosophy and mathematics and uh, uh, science and all music everything uh, pretty it was a pretty interesting program unique uh, as far as I could tell at the time um, I was at St. John's College in Annapolis Maryland so that's where I got my undergraduate degree I went on to get a master's in philosophy and education uh, from Teachers College at Columbia University. And you can see that none of this has anything to do with technology yet. Uh, so so that's Super my, that's my formal background. Yeah, that's my formal educational background. And then I'm, I'm mostly self-taught w- with everything that I've done over the years with, with the tech side of things. Um, but I did grow up around it uh it was it's been ever present in my life so i've I've had a lot of exposure to tech and just lots of tinkering over the years and so i started out uh i kind of wandered around a little bit after grad school and i i hadn't really found a way yet but i just started teaching myself how to build websites and i went from there and now i do all kinds of things uh write software and still make still make websites and i run a podcast and uh i just do a little bit of whatever i can do um I like to I like to craft my own career around whatever keeps me learning the most. So <laughs> I'm I'm likely to get bored if I'm working on something for a really long time and not changing it up. So yeah. that's that's kind of how I've built my professional life so far. Yeah, I I can totally um I, I know what you're saying. Me too. I, I need uh 
different things. Um, otherwise, it just gets. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to keep learning. That's the big thing. And I'm, I'm naturally curious. Yeah. And so, uh, like, I was in the corporate world for a while, and it just didn't, it didn't fit at all. I was so frustrated, yeah. and it was so meaningless that I just felt like, no, 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 this is not, this is not it for me. Um, so yeah, yeah, the whole polywork philosophy really clicked with me, especially when I heard the founder. Um, express what it means because at first it, i was just like oh it's another shining little social network let me go see what it's about and then when he explained it i was like oh right that is exactly what i was looking for yeah so it's great yeah um so i've spoken to a couple of early stage folks so far on the podcast and um also just in, in general like i have some some folks around me and i've mentored some people in the past and the one th- thing that's I don't think it's something that really goes away ever, but I, I do understand, um, like, tech has become, I don't know what the right words are, but it's become this profession that is almost a little bit elitist in a way. Um, I think we want to change it. I think we acknowledge there's a problem there and it shouldn't be. Like, everybody's welcome and every, anybody anybody can do this, you know, if you put your mind to it. Um, but... Maybe it's the nature of the work. Maybe it is the environment we work in. I'm not sure exactly what is leading to this. But the one thing that I've heard from everybody is even more so than finding like good education material or finding good mentors or anything like that. The one thing that they find is imposter syndrome hitting them from day one almost. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes, yeah. yeah, And sometimes just feeling like they, they're not sure if if they made the right choice, like especially people that are, that are changing careers. And um, I was looking at your blog and you recently posted one called uh, coming home. And in that you, you mentioned the sense of unbelonging amongst peers and leaders and how it relates to how we measure ourselves. Um, And so I'd like for you to dig into that a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. I went to my, uh, I went to my 10 year college reunion, which is always weird. I think college reunions are just going to be weird no matter what, because it's just awkward. You don't remember people, blah, blah, blah. But it was a really good time. Uh, It was really neat to see everyone and hear about everybody's professional progress and, you know, meet their kids and all of these things. But what uh, I went with my partner and we were talking about it afterwards. And she was like, you know, everyone who was sitting around uh, in that circle talking, it's it, almost everyone, at least it's, it seemed like everyone had taken these almost taken years to kind of meander around and, uh, end up, it, they almost kind of had this delay, this like six or six or so year delay post-college where they were wandering, trying to figure out what it is they really wanted to do with themselves. Um, and some people are still wandering. So that's, you know, that's fair too. It takes longer sometimes, but, uh, there's a delay in kind of kicking in with, with, what many of us probably would consider real professional progress that 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 she observed from that group that I thought was very interesting. And uh, I think imposter syndrome probably, I mean, in my case, it definitely does have something to do with it and probably did with these peers too. But the idea that I was thinking about was just sort of like, well, everything that everyone's saying here, we're all comparing ourselves to an ideal, to to that person that we idolize, to whomever it may be, you know, we're comparing ourselves to a standard that we don't think we've reached yet. Um, that's kind of natural to do. But when you do that, you you don't often remember to look on the other side of the spectrum of your own progress. <laughs> because it's because it's 
impolite to do so usually you don't want to be like oh i'm better than that person um so you don't usually allow yourself to look do that kind of reflective thinking um it's just like a bad habit it's considered impolite whatever it might be so it's not something that we are prompted to do very often we're not prompted to look either at others or even just measure against our our own progress and look back and say wow i'm much better than that like i I have at least the skills to know that I have moved from point A to point B along my journey of progress. Um, so, so even just having a moment to self-reflect can be useful sometimes, and we often don't make that time for ourselves in our professional lives. But yeah, that was that was the thought with that post. It was just like the I definitely have struggled with unbelonging, but I have an imposter syndrome. But I have, I guess I would say. I, I've recently started to become more comfortable just knowing uh, what I what I used to not be able to do and can do now. Um, and yeah, so that that kind of was the the reason for that post was that that social occasion where that feeling seemed to be felt by right. by people my age and people with whom I'd graduated and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you think um, it's interesting that you say that you've recently started to to be able to deal with it better? Do you think this is something that comes with experience or age, or is it a combination yeah. of it? Because for me, I think like I I'm still I still struggle with it like heavily, but I am better. If, if I'm honest with myself, I am doing better with it, um, and I do think age for me plays a role in that. Um, I'm at a point now where I feel like. I don't have to prove myself so much anymore. I don't have that need so much anymore. Yeah, I I think it must have something to do with it. Um, I think you can't really get that reflective quality until you've uh, done some things that you can reflect on. You know, so mm -hmm. you're not gonna, you're really not gonna have that backward looking experience. But yeah, I th I think it's. I think it's just important to give yourself time to to establish that you care about something professionally first mm. of all yeah. um because before you do that you don't have a standard against which to measure your own uh i don't know your own chunk of your career whatever it is mm -hmm. like in the, in the kind of general world the general professional world until you've had a little bit of time to establish yourself learn what you like and don't like mm -hmm. um, until you've had some time to try and fail a couple of times yeah. uh, it's it's hard to form that perspective but I don't I think that it's possible to work on it certainly if you're a little impatient without waiting mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know there are things you can do like even poly work you mentioned has been a good for me to kind of address some of these things you can you know I, I think finding accountability to uh, put yourself out there mm -hmm. a little more aggressively yeah. than you might be comfortable with doing. So, yeah. you know, having professional peers, ch you know, publish that blog post before you're really ready and have them review it, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, stop getting in your own way a little bit is the way I would describe it. It's just like, okay, I'm holding on to this so tightly because I want to be a perfectionist about it, but do I really need to be in the way of this right now? Cause I'm the one who has to push the publish button. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I can, I can work about, I worry about it being perfect all day long, but I still haven't pushed the publish button. Yeah. And that, that for me was kind of what was getting in, getting in my way. Uh, that I, I, I was my own worst enemy there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's common. Like I know my daughter, for example, she, um, she's going between a couple of ideas of what she wants to do, but I know that, that she has a real passion for writing. Um, 
and uh, I think her work is really good, and I've told her that, mm -hmm. but I don't think she believes it, and I think it's because yeah. there's this fear, and I, I'd like to ask you this because it kind of leads into this this second topic that I that I've had in the doc. Um, I think social media plays a big role here, right? It's um, yeah, it's created this idea of perfection that does not really exist. Um, and people are so scared of being wrong. And I, I don't mm -hmm. understand when we went, when, when that switch flipped over and we went to this thing where it's such a bad thing to sometimes be wrong, where it's such a terrible mm -hmm. thing to sometimes fail, um, and where, where people um, always want to show or pinpoint the things that you didn't do well instead of just mm -hmm. celebrating the humanity of that and celebrating yeah. having an idea and putting it out there. Um, I, I I ran into this um, with a... I, I found a guy on uh, LinkedIn that made a little glove that has these like sensors on it. And so if he moves it around, like it can turn sign language into audio, but he's also put NFT chips on each finger. And so if you program it, wow. then if they get near to an object, like a blind person, it can tell them what the object is. And I thought wow. like, that is so cool. That is such a great idea. Mm -hmm. And I like shared it in one of the Slack servers that I used to be on. Um, and wow, did people poo over that all over that like they yeah. they did not say this is a great idea but it has some flaws it was just all out like this is like oh not that yeah. terrible idea and i was like i'm leaving because this is super toxic i don't want to be yeah. in a place where you don't where you criticize ideas because i think ideas is what's going to move us forward as humanity and if you're going to start just killing people's initiative then i don't know where we're going so I rambled a little bit yeah. there. I'd like your... <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, I think that social media definitely plays a role. I also think it's much easier to respond with negative criticism than it is to offer suggestions for how to improve things. So that's, <laughs> you know, especially in online communities where anonymity doesn't kick in and say that it's not that little voice in the back you don't have that little voice in the back of your head that says hey maybe think before you say this out loud because you're not looking at the person's eyes you're not going to insult them to their face those kinds of things that happen in face-to-face -face interactions with people and we've had even less of that since covid you know but so, so i think the problems have gotten more intense but those are the sorts of things that allow us to pause and take a breath and maybe just not sling that mean comment or criticism or whatever all of that's absent on social media so unless you're very very good at self-moderating which hardly any of us are uh it's 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 just so easy to just pop in and be like well i don't like that i don't like the colors i don't like the what whatever it may be i uh, see i follow a lot of like design stuff on twitter and it's any any time any redesign of anything is released you just it's just a huge thread of thousands and thousands of i like the old one better or just you know whatever the criticism may be it's just because it's it's because it's so easy it's much more difficult to confront a problem and say hey this is a good start i think i would maybe you know think about improving it in this direction it's just it requires you to think uh and do some work in order to engage that way so 
many of us not having the time uh, usually just choose the the pithy little criticism. But I was going to say earlier, too, I think that, and, and writers, you know, writers would probably have this problem more than others. Be, being isolated from a professional network, which I also do find myself, I find myself feeling that I am just because I'm a, you know, I've worked up to this point. I've now, I've now actually started an LLC, but up to this point, I was just working as a freelancer. So like a contract, I didn't have a company. I was just operating as me. Um, but I think when you when you run like a consultancy like that, it doesn't give you a whole lot of opportunities to just sit down with peers and hear whether or not the work you're doing is any good. You 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 hope that the client's happy with the project at the end of the day, but uh, you know, there's not a lot of like quarterly review with your manager to tell you how you're doing kind of stuff as a freelancer or a solopreneur or whatever it may be. And while that most of the time doesn't bother me, when I think about how I'm doing professionally and how I want to improve professionally, I have to go seek out feedback from, you know, non-traditional sources in order to get it. And and it's very hard to do that. And it's especially hard to do that and go find the positive feedback that would help you manage that imposter syndrome. So I would imagine, I mean, writers, I think writers would be particularly challenged by that for the same reasons. It's like, your work product everybody can read and they can like it or not like it but how how do you appeal to the professionals who could help shape your career how do you reach out to people who can give you uh, positive valuable feedback like when you need it when you most when you're most drained or most in need of a you know of some help yeah 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 i think that's a very very good point i i'm i'm going through that and i think i found some things that's helping but there's still there's still a a gap there and um so i think this is something that beginners also struggle with is finding mentors um that are mm -hmm. that build them up and won't uh break the spirit so you know that that's why i'm really careful about managing the mycelium network the discord server aspect of it really really closely i like daily i open it a couple of times a day to just make sure conversations that happen or you know it goes in a positive direction and even you know yeah. i'm not i'm not saying you always have to agree like disagreeing is good it's 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 how you learn it's how you learn to sometimes look at something from a different perspective and sometimes you find out that maybe you were wrong or not even necessarily wrong but there's a different perspective and you can agree to disagree that's good the thing is when those conversations become toxic and when there's somebody that um has a you can see that they always have something negative to say like they never have something positive. It's like no, no, no. Mm -hmm. Change, change your attitude. Yeah. Here. I think that in tech, especially, this can be difficult because, I, I, at least from my own, <laughs> my own personal experience of it, there's a lot of what I would probably call neurodivergence in tech, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what that can mean is that there are a lot of different ways of expressing ideas and difficult problems and concepts and arguments even or discussions yeah. there are there are just um different individuals that don't mix well together in certain kinds of conversations mm -hmm. even just because of some of those factors that you're you know you're never going to be able to account for all of those things so it's very difficult to manage that's what i found um mm -hmm. that, but then there are also some things that borderline into and this is with tech generally there's some borderline behaviors that have been allowed to flourish in certain tech circles mm -hmm. and you yeah. know we see this with big companies with 
culture problems. Yeah. Um, usually don't hear talk about it until it becomes like a, a Activision blizzard or an <laughs> Uber or a whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. You don't hear about this stuff until it bubbles up to the surface, but there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of kind of just not exactly even bad behavior sometimes, but just not a supportive, encouraging, professional behavior that happens in these places that is just allowed to happen. So people just start to assume that that's the norm yeah. for behavior. So yeah. it can be really hard to foster communities where people are respectful in the way that you're talking about. And so I, I, you know, yeah. I really appreciate that you're doing work focused on that because yeah. it's a real tough problem. No, it is. It is. And um, it's early days, right? So I, I think I'm still in the honeymoon phase, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. um, I hope to be able to drag it out as long as possible but i'm you know i'm i'm in a privileged position in that respect that i do have access to other uh people that's been in the community space for quite some time that i can ask for advice um because i want to prepare mm -hmm. myself for not the inevitability i don't want to be negative about it or bit pessimistic about it but should something happen i want to be prepared to in how to handle it. I don't want to have to figure it out as it's happening. Um, because oftentimes, Oh, bless you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, was I not muted? No, you were. I hope I'm muted. Okay, good. I hope I muted myself. Anyway, yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, no, you did. Um, because I think often in the, in the moment you might, react in ways that's gonna make it worse rather than better if you're not prepared because you're gonna be you might be it might be heated and so you might fall into the trap and and instead of bringing the temperature down you might just add fuel to the fire yeah i'm bad at this even I, I even my way of communicating when i'm in the middle of working i i can only do one thing at a time i only have a single thread in my processes are just the one, but I can only work on one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we live our lives on these messaging based uh, apps. So I live on Slack and discord and, you know, teams and whatever combination of all of those things I need on my desktop at any given time. But mm -hmm. I'm always on, always connected. And when I'm trying to work on something, somebody pops up with a DM and I'm, I'm usually blocking because I'm the one who has all the keys to the AWS and all of that stuff mm. in my organizations usually. So if I'm the one blocking, I have to stop what I'm doing to go work on something, which means that I have to rip myself out of my context and plug into another one. And yeah. so my style of conversation can be very like, here's what you need goodbye. <laughs> Sometimes people do not respond like, and I don't, I'm not mean, but even just, I was just thinking about that the other day. I'm like, I should probably be a little more intentional about taking a second to think before I just shoot off whatever message, even if it only needs to be this brief little informational thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I should probably at least just think before I just start typing. <laughs> <laughs> like that's just, just think before you start typing is, is a good principle. I mean, it's probably a good way to behave on social media too, but yeah, I just go into this automatic got to get it done mode. And mm -hmm, sometimes mm -hmm. that busyness I think even can contribute to a, a, a tone that can be unapproachable for some people or some styles yeah. of workers or thinkers or whatever it may be. No, that that's for sure. I mean, I think um, doing many things and being working from home, um, there's so many interruptions that naturally happen throughout the day. And I think those can compound yeah. without you even noticing it. And somebody might just DM you at the wrong moment when you've been interrupted multiple times already. And mm -hmm. then you're just like, 
<laughs> you, you know, you now get you're that. just in a bad mood, but it has nothing yeah, to do with what that person asked you. Exactly. But you're just, yeah, I try to manage distractions in a couple of different ways. I bought this Pomodoro timer. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, this, I, uh, I, I did a huge, I kind of took a moment this summer to professionalize and kind of redo my setup. And that's when I, you know, that's when I formed a company too, instead of just working as a freelancer. So mm-hmm. I started doing all of this stuff, but one of the things that I did was try to manage my time better. And so that, that required a couple of things. And one of them was this timer that makes me work for 25 minutes and take a five minute break. And I get a lot more done now. Okay. Uh, and the other thing was using, using a cal, I use cal.com as a calendar integration software so that I can, I have too many different, too many calendars on too many projects and I need them all in one place. Yeah. And my phone is one of those places, but I can't share my phone with people. So mm-hmm. I had to make it so that people could schedule things because I was just spending so much time in my day scheduling things. Yeah. And I'm like, I need, I need to either pay a virtual assistant, which I can't really afford yet, or I need to have some sort of calendaring solution. So mm-hmm. that's been another really important thing of the working from home time management part of my life. Okay. Uh, those couple of little tools have made a good big bit of difference so yeah, no, yeah for sure i i recently also created like a calendar that's a um a feed of all my other calendars <laughs> just so that yep yep because the calendar of calendars yeah because the thing is i ended up not too regularly thankfully but it was getting a little bit out of hand where i would double book myself because i would look at yep the wrong calendars and i would forget oh dang that other client also had a thing oh no i have to go back and say can we do it an hour earlier or an hour later yeah um yeah. and so i was like no 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 this can't keep going on and also my days were all over the place right because i wasn't always sure what the yep. heck i was doing so i was like have a calendar that's a view into all the things because then at least i can look at that and say oh, okay here i have two hours with nothing and i'm gonna make sure i keep those two hours of nothing because yeah. i think that's the other that's thing. actually been the most yeah, that's been the most beneficial part. I was I totally agree with you. It's the it's the having access to your own time that comes with having that view, that macro view of all the calendars. Mm-hmm. You have access to your own time in a way that you don't have without it. So you can be more efficient even in that way because you know that you've got unscheduled time. Yeah. That's like that's been that's also been very important. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine for people um changing careers like going from being let's say a lawyer to being a coder i think for them those types of time management things are critical too because you have this day job that you can't just now quit um you have to like you know take your time and make sure you're ready before you and you have to get that job in tech that can support your lifestyle that you've already had so i think for them time management is also like i'm sure very tricky so hopefully some of this information mm-hmm. will help them as well um yeah I- Circling back to the social media um, aspect, um, I started off being very indie and being very like running my own blog, that, that all these kinds of things. And I don't know when, but at some point, I don't know if I just got lazy or what, what was the story, but um, I neglected all that stuff. And I, at some point, I, it hit me. I was like, my goodness, if these social things go away, like, a lot of my thinking and thoughts and stuff that I've written and videos I've made is going to all be gone. And um, yeah, I I then stood just step back and say, okay, wait, 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 wait. How did this happen? I still don't know, but that's okay. 
at least I've, I've, I'm now pivoting back heavily towards the indie webcam camp. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, that's, that's what I love. I, I love that, that aspect of making your own things, owning your content, having a domain where your stuff lives and you have control over that. Um, so I am doing more and more and more of that, but I saw that what you've done, like a thing that I haven't even thought about doing and you have created like an archive of your Twitter account on your website. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a post about how to do it. I actually yeah. need to, I need to do the follow up because I need to talk about the the publish once and syndicate everywhere kind of part of that equation. But mm. yeah, yeah, I got really into Levendy, which is a very uh, indie blog. It's an indie blog, indie web favorite. I think uh, static site generator. Um, it's it's a really cool tool. So I kind of got into that because I needed to move my personal blog off of uh, Jekyll. It was on. Uh, Jekyll and I just development stopped for that and I just needed a new tool so yeah when I got into that I was like well this is pretty cool how all of this works just it kind of just generates the whole website based on a couple of JSON files (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty much what it does so it's really cool so you feed it if feed it the appropriate data you can kind of do anything so if you can you know access your own twitter feed uh, pull out the tweets from it you can just dump them in an archive and that archive does go up to the point of that publishing of that post i need to i need to kind of pick up with the project and keep going but yeah recently i i kind of was kind of took a similar path to you i i kind of left to go explore all the shiny social apps and i I, don't get me wrong i spend plenty of time on social media Mm -hmm. like i i you know, I love TikTok. I learned so much from TikTok. There's so many interesting people on it. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a big Twitter person. I think being a writer and a tech person, that's just kind of natural. So, um, yeah, so I spend a lot of time on social media, but I also spend a lot of time thinking about (laughs) how bad social media is. (laughs) And I'm also spending a lot of time thinking about actually if, if maybe professionally I want to start to work on some of this problem, it's more from like a content creation perspective, uh, because I'm really worried I'm really primarily concerned with like your content you you owning your content you Mm -hmm. being able to make money from your content however you want to Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. interested in all of this and um but so so yeah anyway I I did create a Twitter account I'm very interested in the indie web I'm interested in how the current generation of people creating things on the web could potentially migrate off of these platforms yeah. there where they get locked in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and onto a syndicated content model. So I'm, I'm actually doing some work along those lines and we'll see if it ever materializes and becomes anything. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking about it a lot because I'm a little tired of being beholden to tech behemoths that come and go yeah. and behave badly in the interim mm, and mm, mm. I, I have to work you know like my my day job what, no, what i'm considering my day job my my uh one of my my big contract projects i have to interface with with meta on a regular basis mm. and it's just the most soul-sucking Ugh. thankless like it, it's just impossible to actually even talk to a human at, at meta which is frustrating from a developer experience perspective but anyway it's so there are a whole lot of reasons to why not to lock yourself into any social platform any Mm -hmm. content platform and i'm a big fan of finding ways to do that and then helping just the everyday consumer find ways to do that which i think is the the big missing link right now just average joe schmo who doesn't know how to deploy a website how do we get 
those people ownership of their domains. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So for sure. Yeah, it's it's incredible to me um, when I sometimes speak to folks that's been even to some of some of the boot camps that's around these days, and uh, sure they they've learned quite a couple of things, but then they're like. I don't know how to get this online. How do you get it online? I'm like, wow, did they didn't teach you that? That's like so core yeah. to to the thing. What does it help? You can make all these things, but you can't share it with the world. Like, do you just always have to? There's actually a huge. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I think it was. No, it I... was basically that. It's just like, I think this. It's it's such a big part of it when you're learning is to make your own thing, not put it on somebody else's mm-hmm. thing. Um, yeah. So yeah. No, I've I've noticed, I think there's a big opportunity for documentation in general to do a much better job here because I spend almost, you know, I spend a significant chunk of my time in any given week reading developer documentation and almost none of it that I've come across tells you how to harden a project and deploy for production. It's just like, here's how you get started. Good luck. Nothing tells you how to be ready to have actual users mm. using your thing. And in fact, a lot of them do things that are not best practices for production deployments in their tutorials because they expect you to understand that it's not for production. But sometimes when mm. you're learning, you don't expect that. So, yeah, no. yeah as a self-taught developer, I've found that to be pretty pretty frustrating. But it is a pattern there. Uh, I mean, I I'd not having attended a boot camp myself i can't speak to the quality of them but i do know that from some people who have graduated from them that they have been less useful than they would have ha- have hoped yeah uh, mm-hmm. for for that reason mm-hmm. uh that you just don't learn you learn a lot of the fun you know the fundamental the starting points but you don't learn how to actually execute on a vision which is what everybody wants to do when they go to a coding yeah, boot camp yeah, so yeah 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 i'm sure but you mentioned earlier that you are the co-host of a podcast called 16 to 1 um, with co-host yep. Katie Day. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about yep. your podcast? Sure. Yeah. I So having mentioned my background in education, you <laughs> can probably imagine how I ended up here. But I had been I, – I just am obsessed with podcasts. I love the medium. I think it's interesting. I've heard some of the most fascinating stories of my life through podcasts, and I'm Uh, you know, I have a couple of favorites. And so I listen pretty regularly to those. And so for a long time, I'd been like, you know, I really should try this. I love to talk. I love to think. I love to, you know, whatever, learn new things. That was the main thing. I want to be able to do something that makes me learn something new every, however often. Uh, And I'd been talking about it with my, my partner for a while. And I was just like, we got to do this. We got to do this. And then uh, we chose to do it right at the beginning of a global pandemic, which was an interesting choice on our part, let me tell you. But uh, yeah, about a little more than, I guess, like two and a half years ago now, it's been a while, uh, we started recording episodes and we post every other week. And it's about education, teaching and learning. My partner is a teacher, public school teacher. Um, And again, like I have an interest in a background in in education, although I'm not a classroom teacher. But um, yeah, we talk about education every other week and have been doing so for years and we have a great time and it's a it's a lot of fun. It's it's really just something fun to work on together uh, more than anything. But yeah, that's that's what we do. 16 to 1. Cool. Yeah. I listened to one of the episodes last night. It's really cool. I really enjoyed the style of it. (laughs) It's very conversational. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm always curious. Yeah, we try about, to have fun with it. Yeah, no, for sure, it comes through. You, yeah, you're doing, 
you're you're hitting it on the on the head, the nail on the head. There. Um, I'm always curious also about like in the actual actual education. Well, I mean actual, but you know, teaching at a school. I'm always curious about mm-hmm. the experience of that because it has changed so much. In some ways, it hasn't yeah. changed at all. In some ways, it's changed a lot. And I, I always wonder what is the experience like for teachers now in a school environment yeah. from multiple perspectives, you know, yeah. um, like just working with kids nowadays, like kids, the way kids react and the kids behave have changed. Um, yeah. Like our, uh, even us as adults, our ability to pay attention has, has shrunk considerably. Um, and I think with with Gen Z, is it? I think that's what the almost latest folks are. I honestly can't keep track. I anymore. can't either. I asked my daughter the other day, like, "What are you? <laughs> what, <laughs> what are you? <laughs> what are your young friends? What is my sister-in-law?" And like, I'm trying to figure that out again. But yeah, like you know, what it's like to work in that environment where you you're fighting like these super. Um, interactive and super um i don't know what i I can't remember the words now but you know you're just fighting a technology that is built to keep your attention and you as a teacher have to somehow get their attention in the same way i think it must be a massive challenge and i'm you know (laughs) yeah i'm really thankful for people who do that because yeah i mean i'm i'm trying to do that from a developer perspective but Mm-hmm. You know, for the most part, the people that you interact with there are people that are self-selected to learn this thing. Like the, the tricky thing in schools are oftentimes the kids aren't necessarily interested in what you want to teach them, and that that that's the first hurdle that you have to overcome is to take a subject and make it interesting. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I always don't, I don't always know if teachers are given the tools they need to do that, and so yeah. That's a good question. I We're actually about to record our next episode. We're going to do it this afternoon, and it's going to be on inquiry-based learning. So it's about creating the conditions in which students can become interested and take ownership huh. over what they are learning. So that's, <laughs> that is something that we, uh, we, worry, we worry about in our classrooms. But yeah, I, I, I too am in awe of teachers. I'm, I say a majority of my friends are teachers for whatever reason. I'm just around them all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're everywhere in my life. And what I hear most often is that, yes, that there are attention issues with technology and for sure and discipline issues. I, I think the biggest thing, though, is what makes it difficult is actually the parents of, of students. Interesting. Um, that's what makes it really, really hard to be a teacher is that if you could just go to your classroom every day and not deal with parents and just teach the kids, mm. then it's great. But there's so much managing of bad parent behavior and expectations and complaining and all kinds of just wow. like helicopter parenting. And but it goes in different ways. Absent, you know, absent parents, mm. like it, mm. all kinds of. You just you're overcoming so much at that point. You're working to overcome so many factors that honestly have nothing to do with school. They're about these people's lives. Mm. So we we expect our teachers to do the work of, you know, five, 10 professionals yeah. all in one because yeah. we expect them to be psychologists. We expect them to be disciplinarians. We expect them, you know, some, some kids come to school and that's the only meal they get during yeah. the day. So like mm-hmm. that, that's the kind of, those are the kinds of conditions under which we're working. So it's not only all the, all the stuff that we're normally worried about, you know, following behind 
peer nations or whatever it might be about our educational system, which we definitely are doing. But <laughs> um, but I think what we really need to kind of do is be I, I really think that there's an under uh, an under commitment of resources to education, yeah. pre, uh, you know, formal education in this in this country, at least. And uh, but I I think we have a lot of work to do to prioritize education because it's the one thing that is able to open up doors for people, mm. you know, mm -hmm. and I think we should be putting more money into the educational system and putting more more time into making sure that it works for all kinds of different learners. Yeah, so. for sure. And it, I mean, as somebody from a third world country, I can say it's not just the, the United States. It's it's mm -hmm. prevalent everywhere. Um, we have other problems um, compounding, compounding the problem. But it's interesting, the parent aspect of it. It's unfortunate that that is such a yeah. big problem because that's a hard one to solve. Yeah. It's a very, very hard one to solve. Yep. Um, yep. How do you think, like you kind of touched on it earlier when you talked about you read a lot of uh, developer documentation and like it doesn't always have the things that you would expect it to have. Um, what do you generally think about like education models and stuff like that when it comes to the tech industry? Is there anything that you find that's, that's been done really well and then the opposite? That's a good question. I haven't come to tech through such a strange circuitous route. I probably wasn't exposed to a lot of what would be considered this kind of thing in the tech industry. So I probably, you know, I probably can't, can't speak to it with a, a great degree of certainty, but, but I think that, um, the times when I've personally professionally benefited most have been times of when I've gotten to learn from peers, mm -hmm. uh, who are uh, patient and helpful and interested in answering questions. Even just m making yourself available to answer questions can make a difference in somebody's professional life. You know, if you're in a mentorship position. So, yeah, that's what. So I think I think we have a lot better opportunity for for mentorship in tech. Um, I I'm so self directed as a learner <laughs> that I didn't. You know, I, I just wanted to, I've always wanted to know all of this stuff. So I've never had a problem with like motivation, like what we were talking about before. I've never been, you know, I've always been curious. So I've never had to be the sort of person who had to slog through something because I'm choosing to slog through everything I, I choose. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't, it, it's so, it's such a broad thing. I, I think that higher education in terms of tech, so like formal computer science programs, I think what I know of higher education is that they lag behind industry in such a way that the real. I think that the real reason that they exist is is to put you to pair you into a professional network. I think that's why higher yeah. education is unless you're going to do research or something mm -hmm. really difficult. Because um, mm -hmm. there, you know, I, I briefly considered going to do a natural language processing and program because i was really super into you know uh, machine learning and stuff like that and and uh then i was like you know what i don't want to sit i don't want to do research i don't want to be in academia mm -hmm. i want to make things and do things mm -hmm. and i think uh it, yeah anyway i just i think it can be hard um to find a way in if you're not going to go one of the accepted routes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and academia is one route 
getting a computer science degree and going directly into a startup is another route or, you know, an established tech company. But mm. if you're not going to do that, it's very difficult to discern, yeah. discern a path. Yeah. Um, and then I, th I also think that like the big, the big tech companies probably don't do enough to invite a variety of different learners from a variety of different backgrounds into mm. the fold of technology. And so that means that mm -hmm. not only are there like formal educational problems, but there are also problems of, Hey, do I identify with anyone in this group? Am I going to be a total outsider here, either socially or yeah. economically or whatever, nationally, whatever it is. Um, a lot of these problems are, are social and cultural problems more than like education mm -hmm. or employment problems, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, yeah. Yeah. That's really true. I want to cycle back to that in a second. Um, what I do think there is a real need for is some kind of mentorship network. Um, mm -hmm. And, and honestly, like, I mean, I've been in the industry for quite some time, but I, I do new stuff all the time. Right. And then I'm not always sure am I doing this the best way that I could possibly do it. Like, um i recently did a project where uh i i worked with um, mongodb but then um i was using this abstracted layer on top of it and like i would love to ask somebody can you have a look at this code and just tell me if it's total garbage or if i at least understand the, the principles of this tool that i'm using because i think i'm doing a decent job and it works but like you said if tomorrow 10,000 people hits this website is it just going to like fall over because I'm I'm yeah. not using it correctly um, yeah I heard somebody speak the other day about like um, using Apollo with GraphQL and you know there's a very good reason you should use Apollo because you can so quickly shoot yourself in the foot because of the nature of how GraphQL works you can actually end up creating 50 queries hitting the database and where if you use Apollo, it like says, oh, I see what you're trying to do. And it kind of like figures it out. And it like takes all of those 50. And it's like, I'm just going to do one query, get this data, and I'm going to sprinkle it everywhere you need it for you. Like, you know, if you don't know about that stuff, you're going to just say, hey, it seems to be working fine. Everything is great. And then, you know, you client launches the website and the next morning you wake up to like a bunch of angry voice messages because their website's down yeah. or like a ten thousand dollar bill unexpectedly like stuff oh, like that can happen if you, if you have something based on yeah if you have something based on usage like whatever it is you can get yourself into scenarios really quickly where you're just unprepared and that i, I would i would love to see more developer documentation that has like a kind of two-tier approach where it's like, here's how you get started. Here's how you actually deploy a real production environment yeah. here. Because I think that people just expect people to know best practices about that. But I got to tell you, I've been handed so many projects as a developer where it's like, our last developer did this mess. Can you please unmess it up? And <laughs> yeah. so nobody knows how to do this stuff. I don't, I don't, I mean, obviously some people do know how to do this, but you don't start out knowing this stuff. So somebody has to tell you along the line how it should go. Yeah. So, you know, whether that needs to be on the onus has to be on developer documentation. I, I, I think that it should, I think writers of documentation should do a better job of doing this kind of, it's, it is a kind of education. Um, so I think that should happen, but I, but I also think that, uh, the keys to those kinds of operations are usually held by a small number of people at any given company. And so that means that there's not often as much exposure to those principles of practices, you know, process documents, whatever it might be. 
there just aren't as many people who know how to do that stuff in general. So I think that uh, I think we should try to open up that that knowledge more because even if not everybody is doing it, everybody should know how to do it. <laughs> you know, if you're working in tech. Yeah, no, so. no for sure. And I I think the the nice thing about documentation and uh, creating educational material around this is it there's less of a need them to be there in person every time. I can't remember who it who it was, but there was somebody that I read about that like if they've received an email twice, they ask them the same question, they write a blog post about it. So then the next time they get the same question, they just point people at the blog post. Um and I thought like that is really a clever way of doing this because that puts the information out there but it frees up your time yeah. um, and it makes it um, discoverable by other people that just search for like, how do I X? And then it's like, whoop, here your blog post post pops up. That was an answer to an email. Um, yeah. So I think it, like, like I said, a, a mentoring network would be nice, but I, I understand the, the difficulty of that. It's like, it's people's time that you're asking for. And in general, people are pressed for time to start with. So, yeah. you know, the other thing I've struggled with there is that mentoring in the abstract is very, it's not very appealing to me. I mean, mentoring with somebody I don't know, I guess is what I should say. That's what I mean by mentoring in the abstract. So I've always, you know, been very close with my teachers, just somebody who was curious and interested in education. I've always been, you know, I've always been close to my own teachers. And so I've benefited uh, greatly from a couple of mentors along the way. Now, these people were not in tech, so I, I really don't. I mean, I, I I have the benefit of working with my dad pretty closely on one of one of uh, an ongoing contract project that he's he's still working on in his pseudo retirement. Um, so I've kind of gotten to learn a lot from him, but it's a little bit different when it's it's family. So I I don't have like a you know a non family tech mentor. I don't think so. It would uh, and, and that's just because. If for no other reason for me, I am a contract worker, have been a contract worker, and it's difficult to form a long-term relationship with somebody that you trust when you do that kind of work. And so I I, I do think there's like, I, I totally see a need for it. I don't know how people like me could get into, you know, maybe like a Discord server, like what you're, like what you're running um, would be a good place because I do spend a lot of time hanging out in those places. But I need to feel like a mentor is personally invested in me, and that's what is basically impossible to find uh in just in the way that i exist professionally on a day-to-day -day basis so yeah yeah, yeah I, I i don't have a solution for it i know there's a need um i'm not entirely 100 percent sure how to fill that need yet um maybe it'll happen organically via the this the discord server i don't know i think it's got to be much easier it's got to be much easier than like just smashing two people together yeah. and say okay here's your mentor which which can still happen mm -hmm. uh, productively for a lot of people yeah. to be clear but this is just for me i need to and that's why I actually yeah, that, that discord approach does appeal to me because i can get a sense for i can get a sense for people before i mm -hmm. you know dm them and say hey can you help me with this thing or whatever it is yeah. that way you can get a sense of Who's working on what? Are they going to be interested in your question? Are you going to feel like you're wasting their time? You know, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. You, mm -hmm. can, you can sort of pre-figure out some of that yeah. before you dive in that's very to true. a more formal relationship. Yeah, that's very true. And um, I try and, like, regularly post there encouraging people to ask questions because I know people are scared. I know that. Mm -hmm. um, like, 
working on like an open source project on like GitHub and stuff like that, that's scary for people. Like that's why I've I've told people, look, we're we're all working together um, on this project, but if you're at all like uncomfortable about opening opening the pull request because you feel like I'm not sure if my work's good enough, let us people that you feel comfortable with like create a Google Doc or something and like or a Notion thing in Notion and like ask people to go and proofread it there if that makes you feel more comfortable. And then you can like slowly start, you know, dipping your toe and maybe put your foot in and see how it feels until you feel comfortable. But I think in the end of the day, um, you should start building up the confidence to do it and to work in the open and to be okay with receiving feedback that is maybe not always, you're doing a great job. Sometimes it's like, Mm -hmm. thank you for this, but this, this, and this, and this thing that you can do. But I... I understand and I, I feel feel for it. Like for me, I, I had to remind myself of that because I've been working in the open for like eleven years or more now. So for me it's almost like if people talk about that, I'm like, what do you mean it's weird? <laughs> it's like and then I'm like, remember, you've been doing this for eleven years. Think about eleven years yeah. back when you had to open that first pull request on this repository that everybody can see. How did that feel? And it's like, Oh right. That was kind of scary. And so yeah. you have to sometimes just step back and go back in your he- own history and remember that <clears throat> it wasn't like it's now. Like now, maybe you're—it's just how you work. Um, but it, yeah. it hasn't. It wasn't always like that. Yeah, yeah. I I'm I recently I was working on a project, a kind of side project, and I was like, "What am I going to do with this thing? Am I going to turn it into something?" It's a, it's a little application. I play uh, Dun- Dungeons and Dragons with my friends, and uh, I built a little app to manage my character sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started playing with it, and uh, I started forcing myself to use it during sessions, mm-hmm. which was a really fascinating. I mean, it's, it's it's a similar approach, even though it's still just me. I actually did open it up to the group, but I was the only one who used it because everybody else had paper character sheets they just wanted that i wanted mine digitally but mm-hmm. um so i kind of like opened it up before i was really ready and it didn't you know it didn't go well every single time some of them are there, there were some quite spectacular fails of sessions because of it but i but i learned a whole lot about my own app that i was working on uh building it that way and it actually even kind of changed the course of how i'm gonna actually open source it now i'm gonna rebuild the thing in uh and node and do it that way and i'm gonna open source it so i learned from that experience that putting it out there is really not the worst thing in the world you just got to go for it and it's you know so i'm gonna see it's it's gonna be really fun i've you know contributed to some open source projects here and there but i've never actually built my own so i i'm hoping maybe eventually i'll have a fun little tool for people to use but uh just holding yourself accountable even you know, publishing that blog post or just, or you know, deploying that first staging build, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have something that's perfect and being used by ten, th- tens of thousands of people. You can just have a thing that works for you. That's even yeah. one step in the right direction um, of coming to be able to have a better barometer for your own success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember. Hmm. I recently spoke to, I think I spoke to one of the, the folks in the Mycelium network uh, who's a beginner and I told them like, it doesn't always have to, you don't always have to build a thing that is going to have, that's going to be the next Twitter or whatever. It can just be something that helps you and maybe 
mm-hmm. four years down the line, somebody stumbles upon it and they're like, holy cow, this is really cool. I'm going to use it too. Now you have a second person using it. And if that even never happens, it's okay because you've learned something, you've made something that's useful to you. And that's good. There's nothing negative about that. Yeah. Well, that's like with the the blog post principle that you were talking about earlier. If you get two emails turned into a blog post, I started doing that with my myself. Where if I repeat this process more than once, yeah. turn it into a blog post because I that's I mean that's why I have like stuff about deploying on DigitalOcean on my blog, just random stuff that's so like easy, basic walkthrough tutorial stuff. But the reason all those exist on my blog is because I had to keep doing them over and over again. And I kept making the same mistakes in the same places. And I'm like, why didn't I write that down the first time? (laughs) So now I've got content. Yay. So yeah, it's been a, but it's, but it's good. It's good to do that. I I also look at my own blog posts to go set things up sometimes because I'm like, well, I've already done this once. Why would I put myself through it again? Yeah. No, that's, that's (laughs) definitely, that, that is very good advice. I, I, do it less often than I should. I sometimes make notes and I never go back to the notes. And then the next time I hit the same problem, I'm like, I have fixed this already before. How the, <laughs> darn it. <laughs> I have to figure it out yep. all over again. Yep. Um, yep. Cycling back to uh, your podcast and a topic you touched on with uh, related to the cultural aspects of tech. And, and I think this is in other industries as well, but um, being in tech, that's probably what's easiest to speak to. The episode I listened to from your podcast was the most latest one, which was about women in STEM. Um, mm, yeah. And I've spoken to a couple of women on the podcast before who like getting into that and had very different experiences based on where they came from culturally. Um, also physically, like the one was US native, the other one was from Mexico that recently moved to the US, but is still struggling with some aspects of being a non-native um American. And so yeah. This is a area for me that I think needs a lot of work. Um so I was very glad to see that you've like really highlighted and dedicated a whole podcast episode to it. Um if you have to like share with us because I would encourage everybody to go and listen to that episode instead of trying to rehash it here, but what I would like is if you can like give us the like big takeaways like that you've discovered through talking through that topic. Yeah, I I mean, I think at this point, most people are aware of the problems. There's, you know, they're the sort of more loud media, media confronting issues where you get people, you know, sexual assault in the workplace, um, stuff like that. We, we've got problems there. But then we also just have things like just the sheer numbers, just representation in, in tech is still wildly imbalanced uh there's just a very wide gender disparity so the yeah that episode is just kind of all about that and it mostly exists to convey the fact that we have to start making progress right now because we're backsliding we're actually kind of we're reverting to an even worse state in terms of these things so we need to you know and, and i mean there's some extent to which some people think this isn't a problem to be solved because it's one of interest um by that I mean, well, it's fine because women don't go into tech because they're not interested in tech, which is mm. if you work with anyone under the age of 20, which I, you know, through my work on the podcast and for my partner, I'm exposed to young learners. Mm. You know that women are just as interested. Girls are just as interested in technology as anyone else. Yeah. So it gets a little 
I, 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 the, the main takeaway from the episode is really just me asking the question, if half the world is, you know, if, if 50% of people are women, why are like 19% of software engineers women? Mm -hmm. It, mm -hmm. like, it just doesn't even, and you know, just asking the question is, is an affront sometimes to folks, but, <laughs> but for me, it really is just like the, like the question shouldn't, isn't that weird? Doesn't that strike people as weird that there's such an imbalance in particular career fields? Yeah. And, you know, why, how do we get where we are? How do we get past where we are? That's everything that we, that, that we tackle in the lesson. But, um, but f for me, I, I think the main focus is just on like, how are we going to start to overturn some of this? How are we going to encourage? And I think it starts with some of our youngest learners because mm -hmm. I think I think some of the disparities around uh, gender representation in tech start very, very young um, because we yeah. encourage our girls to play with certain toys mm -hmm. and dress mm -hmm. in certain ways. And we encourage other, you know, we encourage boys to do different things. And, and, uh, and we definitely don't leave a lot of room for other gender expression in there anywhere either. Yeah. So yeah. there's yeah. just like a lot of work to be done um, to, to, to strip all of that out of the space. I, and, and I also think that the other main point that I guess I would take away is that if you're lacking representation of anyone in your workplace, you're missing an opportunity to do better yeah. than you're doing because you don't, you know, you don't have that unique voice uh, on your staff or whatever it is. If you don't have that, then you, you're just doing yourself a disservice yeah. from a business perspective mm -hmm, even. Mm -hmm. So it just makes business sense to be better about this stuff. But anyway, yeah, that, that was the kind of, yeah. that was that. I had gotten particularly frustrated about it because we'd been listening to um, we'd been listening to a podcast about For All Mankind, which is a TV show about the space race, a kind of reimagined history of the space race between USSR and the United States, mm -hmm. and it's a really fun show. But they had, they had a companion podcast, and it was just kind of talking about the history of involvement of women in NASA mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, in astronaut training programs, and how much more difficult it was for them just because they were women. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the, the inspiration for all of that episode. But yeah, it was a it was a fun conversation. But we still have a ways to go. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, um, yeah, I totally call bullshit on the whole interest thing, just to be blunt, <laughs> because. Um, <laughs> If if you want proof that that I I'm right <laughs> in this situation, go listen to the episode I did with Pamela Rodriguez, and and you'll hear awesome. and you'll hear like I'm not just targeting towards you like people who hear this. If you if you think it's an interest problem, go listen to that episode. The way she grew up in Mexico, like you're not encouraged as as a as a girl to go into technology it's not your field it's it's something boys do it that is the message that is clearly being being said to them she was lucky in that her parents encouraged her to go and do that because i i believe her father was also in tech and so that helped but for so many other people so many other women in mexico that is not even an avenue they think to explore, not because they're not interested, just because it's you're told that it's not something you would be interested in. And one thing that I, a while ago, realized is representation is a big part of it too. If you do not see somebody like yourself in a role, it's hard for you to have something to strive towards because you, you can't, I, I, I can never find the appropriate word for this, but... There's no connection there. 
it's like you just see a bunch of people that's not you doing the work. Yeah. And so you think that, oh, maybe it's not meant for me then. Um, and so it's, it's, it's those bubbles we need to burst and say, no, that, that's untrue. And we need to like lift up people who are trying to, to change that, give them a voice, give them a platform to talk and say, hey, I'm, I'm like you and I'm doing this. You can do it too. Um, because, yeah, it's not an interest thing. It, it has nothing to do with that. Um, it's literally just people don't see themselves in these roles and therefore they don't no. pursue them. I, uh, there's, a there's a musical, it actually just, just closing, I think now called Come From Away, um, that ran on Broadway for a couple of years. And it's about, uh, it's about what happened in Gander, Newfoundland on 9-11 when they had to divert all of this plane traffic to this tiny little island in the middle of nowhere. So that's the story of the show, but there's a moment in it where (laughs) there's, uh, uh, the character, she's a pilot, um. And she's singing about how, uh, well, the whole song is just basically about how she grew up with everyone around her telling her that being a pilot is not for girls and she can, she evolves into this, you know, woman with this flourishing career as a pilot, but did it despite the fact that she could, uh, you know, despite the fact that everyone around her was telling her this isn't for you, uh, her peers, her colleagues, even her, her coworkers, her female coworkers, didn't like her this is based on a real person Mm -hmm. they didn't like her because she you know was perceived to be of a higher status than they were as attendants on the flight so anyway all this kind of stuff that happens but uh that that song makes me cry like every single time my dad is a pilot too you can tell that my dad being in tech and my dad being a pilot has a lot to do with all of this stuff but he's kind of the reason i got into all of this stuff but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah there's a line in there about basically uh yeah, just about like being a pilot and stuff. And it makes me cry every single time because I just like to see myself represented. I yeah. like to see some strong female character stand up and say, look at what I did, despite the fact everyone around me told me I couldn't yeah. or never invited me in or, yeah, you know, I, I was never given the opportunity. I had to take it for myself. It just, eh. so I, I, I really like, um, I like that just because it is so important to be able to see that's yes, that's me. Exactly. It's, yeah. I identifying with, identifying with peers. And I mean, the same thing happens in media, like being able to find yourself in media mm-hmm. is important mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it, it definitely does matter having examples of, of other, uh, you know, of peers with whom you feel like you can share something and identify and grow is, is very important. Yeah. Apparently that's one of the reasons why Fresh Prince of Ballet was such a popular show because it was one of hmm. the first ones that was an all black cast. And uh-huh. um, the, the people who played it weren't like poor, like the, the, the father was a really successful you know person in law. They had a big house. They were living in like, you know, they had riches and wealth and all that kind of stuff. But then also you had this representation from the other side, like the person who came from, you know, down and out and is now living up here and like there's this this difference. Um, But the fact that you had those two different uh, uh, economic aspects, but then you had an all-black cast as well, Um, that Mm -hmm. that made a big connection with a lot of people. Um, They could see themselves and they could also see themselves – not being the one that lives in the in the projects or whatever you want to call it, but the one that lives in the big house in Bel Air, you know. Um, so 
that was that was interesting when I learned about that. I I never thought about it that way. And when somebody like vocalized it, it was like, oh goodness gracious, yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Like for me, it's normal to see white folks living in big houses, you know, and being really successful mm-hmm. and running billion dollar companies. But if you don't see that as somebody that's not me, then it's hard. Like you feel like you have to be the trailblazer and it's hard to be the first person, right? It's always hard to be the first one to say, I'm going to change it. I'm going to do this thing different. Yeah. It can be too weird too as a woman in tech because I don't go around thinking of my own experience as gendered in tech. Mm. I just think of my experience. Yeah. So I don't, when I'm living in it, I don't look around and think like, oh, well, this is happening because I'm a woman or because mm. I'm not a man mm. or whatever it might be. I don't have those kinds of thoughts. But the pro- the problem is, is that maybe nobody does. We always think of these things in terms of the systemic problems and systemic underrepresentations. And we, we tend to big picture these things to the point of almost oblivion because we don't know what we can do about them anymore when we think of them as big widespread issues to confront it's almost like a way of abstracting it into nothingness and uh so so i think that i do have you know i have had to ha- have some struggle i've had some struggles in my own career just being in such uh, spaces that are so dominated by a single kind of voice and it's usually a white voice and it's usually a male voice and I don't like that's just the way it is it doesn't bother me that that's the, the default necessarily but it does bother me when we forget that there's a default that we've selected yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's you know it's um it can it can be it can just it can cause monoculture if nothing else for sure which is uh something I'd like to avoid. Yeah. So. And like you said, it's it's literally like it's bad for business. And I mean, I've, yeah. I've experienced this not in the business sense, but in the community sense, like some of the stuff that we've done, um, we have people from like all over uh, and people whose uh, native language isn't English has called out some of the stuff that I wrote as like, it's good. But like if somebody with my background reads this, I'm going to find this specific area really complicated. Like I couldn't understand what you were trying to say here. And then they would like, and it's amazing how deep that the guy would dive into this and like trying to understand what I'm trying to say. And I'm like, holy cow. And then he comes to me and he says like, could we reword it this way? And I'm like, of course we can. And that, that makes so much sense that, that, that is just going to make, and now it's more approachable for a lot of people. It's like accessibility. Yeah. Like you, you do a thing that makes it accessible to this group of people, and hey, guess what happens? A whole bunch of other people benefit from it as well. So, I think that's the thing: changing the mindset in ter- to to what you benefit, the benefit you derive when you do this thing, might be what it takes to change minds. Because I'm not sure there's an instant hostility toward almost anything you try to say about this in te- in tech, and uh, and like. And the reason, I mean, it kind of makes sense because we just don't have, we don't have the tools, we don't have the culture, we don't even have the practices and habits of conversation to be able to have the difficult talks about this stuff that we need. Like having a really good conversation about a difficult topic, like why are there so many men in this office and no, not as many women or something, like if that's the topic, having a really difficult conversation about that 
takes skill and is not something that can just be expected to go well. <laughs> and I think that that's like, you know, so so I think that it can be really difficult because there aren't a lot of tools that business leaders are given to mm -hmm. know how to navigate some of those kinds of conversations. Very we true. just kind of assume we have the best idea in the room and that everyone's going to listen to us and that our CEO word is is gold or whatever, but but we need to realize that these kinds of yeah, this, these difficult kinds of conversations need to happen in, in a particular moderated civil way. And they actually do need to happen. We can't just say, yeah, we're not going to talk about politics in the workplace, that kind of thing. Like that was a real big trend a couple of years ago. It was like Basecamp and Coinbase, I think both within like a week of each other, the CEOs were like, no politics in the workplace. And I'm just like, we are political creatures. Like we, we have to exist in the world, which means that politics is going to affect our lives so we have to find a way to we have to find a way to acknowledge difficulties in our workplace and still be productive on the other side of them um so i was just kind of disturbed by that ch chilling effect but <laughs> but but at the same time i get why people are hesitant about having these conversations because they can go so badly they can go very wrong <laughs> that is for sure they, they yeah they yeah. they definitely can they definitely can this has been a great conversation. Um, I tend to say that with all of these, it's so great to just be able to talk to people about all these things and like hear different perspectives. And it's always, it's always eye opening. I really enjoy it. I'm glad I started it, and I, I can't remember who it was, but there was some podcast that said everybody should have a podcast, and I'm starting to agree. Um, it's such a great medium, and to just get to speak with such a wide variety of people, and it, it broadens your perspective. It's almost like traveling in a sense. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go dive into your podcast now that you've been telling me about these episodes. It sounds fascinating. I'm gonna have to yeah <laughs> give a listen. Yeah, and I'd love your feedback. Like I'm, I'm learning as I'm doing this. Like I'm, you know, I, I have no background in podcasting. <laughs> I just decided one day to start doing it. So I did not either. So you just kind of seems to be the way of it. Yeah, you just, you just wing it. Start going. Yeah, for sure. So to close us out, I kind of two things maybe one can be just a general like advice to people getting starting to learn to code and um you know new to development any words of wisdom like yeah i i think the thing that has helped me most is establishing rituals uh i call them rituals but it's really just good habits i mean if i call them rituals then i think i'm cool uh so you know but uh, good habits throughout the day so i i used to be a a real night owl and i still do stay up late but i used to think that i liked staying up late and sleeping in but what i actually like is having time in the morning to wake up before i jump into tasks so i again this is back to the kind of scheduling thing but i go to bed at a reasonable hour most nights now and i get up almost every day at eight and uh even though I work from home and could get up at noon if I wanted to, but I get up at a set schedule every day. Um, and I take up my dog on a walk at a set schedule every day and establishing those things for me has been, uh, it's freed me up to think about my work and not to have to think about managing my life and schedule, uh, which is kind of infecting some of my workflow. So I think that, um, again, especially if you're, a solopreneur or a freelancer, or you're just starting out and you're self-directed, if you have to be in charge of your own time 
And also if you struggle with like distractions or ADHD or your brain works like mine, uh, coming into habits that you can call your own that you actually relish. Like I, I make, you know, I, I don't, I haven't been drinking as much coffee, but I used to make, you know, my coffee every single morning at the same exact minute. And I light a little like candle when I come into my office every single time so that it smells nice. And I play music on my sound system every single time I get into like the workspace and I'm lucky to have a home office too. It's been important to have a separated work space that isn't part of my life space, but coming up with these things that are just kind of like things that you do every day has been, I think, key to my feeling like I have a more coherent grasp on my own professional life these last couple of months, especially as I've been working through some of these things. So that, that would maybe be the, the bit of advice that I would give. Just come up, come up with your rituals. You can define them, um, but com- coming up with these things will help you kind of maintain a good sleep schedule, healthy work-life balance, and, you know, just the motivation to keep keep going. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you kind of alluded to some things, I guess, um, now, like music and uh, coffee and things like that. <laughs> what do you do in your downtime? Yeah. Walking the dog? Yeah, uh, walking the dog, yes. I have a golden retriever. I walk the golden retriever, my partner's dog. Nice. Um, I uh, I make music. I'm actually, my office is got a bunch of guitars and keyboards and stuff in here but that's that's mostly just for me i don't really public i mean i it's on the internet but i don't you know there's some things that i want to be just for me so i do i do make music uh i like i mean i I do stuff like 3d printing um if it's any like tinkering or art or just any kind of creative pursuit I, i i'll do it i've got bins and bins full of crafty stuff and electronics and arduino kits and just whatever tinkering is to be done i'm gonna be doing it because i just enjoy it so yeah it's a little little bit of everything a little bit of travel but a lot of music music has always been important in my life Mm -hmm. Um, and i do i do like making it yeah that's great well thanks so much chelsea this has been a wonderful conversation um i'm yeah, thank you. I'm so glad we, we made this happen thank, uh, finally. Um, I'm looking forward to your next episode of your podcast, seeing that we kind of like just ran into the same topic during this one. <laughs> we did. We did. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what you all talk about. And um, yeah, glad you jo- you joined the Discord server. So, you know, it's it's going to be fun to have you around. So enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, and I'm excited. Thanks so, so much. Well, thank you. It's great talking. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mycenaean Network Podcast. If you're not already, please subscribe, store, and leave a review for us in your podcatcher of choice. This helps others find us and helps us make a better podcast for you, our listeners. You can also find and follow us on Twitter at Network Mycenaean and join the community on Discord. All the links are available in the show notes.